0: Well, greetings, brethren, and welcome to another Wednesday night Bible study. And uh, we're here studying the Book of Psalms. And God willing, tonight we'll finish Book 4 of the Book of Psalms. And this is such a powerful book. It's such an important book. And it's not the type of book, traditionally, that we would sit down and read line by line. And yet when our Lord was on the earth, he quoted from this book more than any other book in the Tanakh. So that's why we want to study this, this, this book line by line so that we can be sure that we understand what is in the book. So we'll open with a word of prayer and then we'll get in for tonight's lesson, Psalm 105 and 106. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you and we just praise you, Lord God Almighty. These words, this text, which is thousands of years old, uh, and every generation you had, you've had a faithful remnant that has drawn strength from this text. And now, Father, as we come to the close of this age, uh, it's just amazing to us, Father, that we find so much strength and inspiration and guidance in these ancient words. And while those in the dark uh, will be running around scattered and panicked, we thank you, God, that we can have stability and trust because of the foundation that we have, which is your word. We ask, Lord, that you'll bless our study this evening, bless all those who are tuning in live, as well as those who will find this in the archive. We praise you, Lord, and we thank you. We ask your blessing now in Jesus' most holy name. Uh, So, brethren, as I I get started, we're going to read these two Psalms together, 105, 106 together. Uh, They're a bit lengthy, so I won't have many references. We just want to get into the Psalms. I'll comment on these two Psalms as we go through them. But before we begin, I just want to make mention if you didn't, if you weren't with us on Sabbath, Pastor Murray gave a very profound and a very important sermon entitled "Worthy Is the Lamb." And if you are following us, uh, especially these studies and the sermons, they, they go together, brethren. And I think you've noticed that. And and this Sabbath's or last Sabbath's sermon, "Worthy Is the Lamb." It's it's just one of those critical sermons that it it needs to be part of our curriculum. As we grow in understanding together, there are certain building blocks that I believe God is giving us and putting in place that, you know, as we grow together, we just need to assume that you have the the same building blocks and we can we can then build on them. So this sermon, Worthy is the Lamb, you know, and we love to sing Worthy is the Lamb. Many of us know, are familiar with the hymn or the the praise music, uh, Worthy is the Lamb, but worthy to do what? Worthy for what? Uh, and Pastor Murray has done a great job of going through that. And I think it ties into what we're going to study this evening. So I want to start in Psalm 105. <clears throat> but before I do that, I would just like to call your attention to um, First Chronicles 16. Because this, in, in First Chronicles 16, David actually quotes Psalm 105. So just very, very quickly... Um, you know, this is when they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tent that David had pitched for it. And they offered burnt sacrifices and peace offerings before God and dropping down to verse four. And he appointed certain of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord. This is a big deal to David. And he's picking the most uh, talented Levites to, 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 to bring praise to God for what has happened. Uh, so he's, he's chosen them to, uh, Minister before the, the, the Ark of the Lord, and to record, and to thank and praise the Lord God of Israel. So in his selection, this is what it's all about: to thank and to praise the Lord God of Israel. And of course, Asaph, who is one of the author of many of the Psalms, which he's Asaph the chief. Next to him, Zachariah, Ja'il, Shemara, moth Shemarapmoth, Jehiel, uh, Mattathiah, Eliab, Benaya, Obadidum. Jael with the psalteries and with the harps, Asaf made a sound with cymbals. Beniah also in Jahazel, the priest with trumpets continually before the ark of the covenant of God. And then verse 7. Then on that day, David delivered first this psalm to thank the Lord into the hand of Asaph and his brethren. So this David was inspired by this psalm. He's now giving it to the musicians to say, Bring this praise, this wholehearted praise with with your best talent. And this is why we need musicians have a way of moving people that maybe the, the spoken word, the spoken word we know will move people. But musicians can move people in a different way. And so David has the spoken word, but he gives it now to the musician, Asaph, and his brethren to really bring this praise and bring the people into this praise. And then he begins to quote this psalm that David wrote. Give thanks unto the Lord, call upon his name. So we'll, we'll go through the psalm as we go into um, Psalm 105. So let me just, for the sake of time, let's go into this psalm that David wrote, which he gave to Asaph to bring to life and to inspire the people and, and to recruit the praise of the people to this, this mighty God. So let us do that and get into the psalm for today. Psalm 105, beginning in verse 1. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that you're hearing me uh, clearly. The indication I have here is that I'm coming through loud and clear. But maybe if you could just uh, drop a note in the chat or on YouTube. We don't have real-time access to Facebook anymore. Uh, so if you drop a note on YouTube or on uh, the uh, church dot, uh, cgi.church.online, I'll be able to just confirm that I am coming through clearly. I'm going to assume that I am, and there's a bit of a delay here, so I'll just go ahead. Oh, give thanks. And again, this is, remember David, um, how he danced um, really energetically. Uh, great, I got posed in auto. Thanks so much, brother, that I'm coming through clearly. Uh, so remember David, um, when he danced before the Lord, when the ark came back, And it was so intense. It was really, you know, like charismatic type dancing because he was so enthused at what had happened. And now this is in that same vein. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. So call upon his name. His name is to be known and to be called upon and make known his deeds among the people. Sing unto him. And 105 and 106 go together, by the way. They're two sides of the same coin. And I think you'll see that clearly. Uh, as we go through, last week when we were in Psalm 104, we just saw how majestic God's creation is, and he's the God of all creation. Well, now we're going to get more specific in Psalm 105 and 106. Sing unto him, sing psalms unto him. Talk you all, talk you of all his wondrous works. Like, don't hide this. Like, we are just so amazed with what God does. Glory you in his holy name. And again, this holy name, this name, this understanding of his name, it keeps coming up. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek Jehovah, Seek Yehovah and his strength. Seek his face evermore. Remember his marvelous works that he has done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. So, so David is inspired, having recovered the Ark of the Covenant, and seeing God's faithfulness, and he pens this song. And now he says, O oh, you seed of Abraham, his servant, you children of Jacob, his chosen. So, so it, uh, David understands, and now inspired with this uh, prophetic vision, he's speaking to the people and reminding them that they are the seed of Abraham. And that covenant that God entered into with Abraham cascaded down through Isaac to Jacob, his servant, his chosen. And this returning of the ark, it's all about this relationship that God has with Abraham and through Abraham, with Jacob, and ultimately all the children of Israel. He is the Lord, our God. His judgments are in all the earth. They're in all the earth. So it doesn't matter which nation it is or what God they worship. This is irrelevant. The God of Israel is the God of the whole earth. And his judgments, his counsel shall stand. And his counsel is in the whole earth. He has remembered his covenant. Listen, let me let me say this again. Listen, he has remembered his covenant forever. Did you get this, brethren? He's remembered, and remembered doesn't mean like, oh yeah, oh yeah, the covenant. Oh, I forgot the covenant. Remembered means he is proactively working this covenant. He's putting the covenant in play. He is actively acting according to the covenant forever. This is a forever covenant, and it it grieves me. You know, I was listening to a sermon maybe a week or so ago, and the title intrigued me because it was a, a clever title. And it had to do with what the world will look like when Christ is returned, when he's on earth. What, what does the future look like from that point? And so I listened to this sermon, not a CGI sermon, but in the Church of God community, and it was a good sermon. And as I'm listening to it, it broke my heart. I, I felt physically ill because here we are talking about the return of Jesus Christ, And with it, we completely disregard the covenant. It's that God returns to earth and he sets us up as kings and priests and he brings salvation to the whole world. And somehow we have written the covenant people out of the plan of God. They don't matter. And this covenant that God has entered into with them forever doesn't matter. And by doing this, we're calling God a liar. When when Abraham is resur- when when Christ returns and Abraham is resurrected, and and we Christ turns to Abraham and Abraham's like, where are my children? Oh, it's the church now, and uh, yeah, forget about no. But you promised me that my seed would inherit this land, and I believed you. So what's happened to them? A- Abraham would be confused, but he's not going to be confused. Because God is working this covenant forever. He's working it right now. And we cannot understand what is going on in the world if we don't understand this verse. That he is proactively working his covenant forever. He's doing He was doing it yesterday. He was doing it last week. He was doing it a thousand years ago. He was doing it 4,000 years ago. And he's doing it now. He's a God that restricts himself by his word. He makes a promise and then he binds himself to make this promise happen. And that's why he can declare the end from the beginning and from ancient times that which is not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand. So we need to get behind this covenant and we need to faithfully declare the gospel in view and in light and through the lens of the covenant. And again, if you missed the sermon on Sabbath, I strongly encourage maybe Pastor Murray, if you're listening, you could drop the uh, URL Your sermon in the chat so those who might have missed it can have access to it. But in that sermon, we will understand why he's worthy and what he's worthy to do and why it matters. And here he has remembered this covenant forever. We cannot make him a liar. So as we preach the gospel, let's preach it through the lens of the covenant. He has remembered his covenant forever, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations. He will never deviate from this. His words will not drop to the ground vain. They will perform everything that he has said. Which covenant he made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac. So, so it was, it was reinforced. It went from Abraham to Isaac and confirmed the same unto Jacob for a law. And to Israel for what? To Israel for what? To Israel for what? For an everlasting covenant. We cannot make God a liar. The gospel has everything to do with the covenant. And we cannot understand what's going on in the world today unless we understand this. We won't know where to look. We won't know what's important. There's so many things happening. Well, what matters? Well, if we see through the lines of scripture and not culture, not getting swept up in culture, but sticking to scripture, the culture of the day. No, we stick to scripture, the ancient scripture. We stick to it. And we look at the world through scripture and he has so it was made it was a covenant a binding covenant to Abraham and then he swore an oath to Isaac and then he confirmed that oath that he swore to Isaac and the the covenant that he made to Abraham he confirmed the same to Jacob for a law and to Israel for an everlasting covenant saying this is what he said unto you Jacob these physical people this is the covenant this has everything to do with the covenant And anything we're preaching in terms of the good news of the gospel, it must include this. Or we're making God a liar. Unto you will I give the land of Canaan, the lot of your inheritance. This land that the Canaanites have, I'm taking it away from them. And I'm promising you, I'm giving it to you and your inheritance, your seed forever. When they were but a few men in number, yeah, very few and strangers in it. When they went from one nation to another, from one kingdom to another people, he suffered no man to do them wrong. Yes, he reproved kings for their sakes, saying, Touch not my anointed, and do my prophets no harm. Because he's working, he's remembering his covenant, he's he's proactively working his covenant. And so these people must exist. Much to Satan's chagrin, he's going to do everything he can to destroy them, but he cannot. He cannot. And that's what we have to understand in terms of understanding what's happening in the earth today. God has an agenda. Satan has an agenda. Satan's going to look like he's making progress and being successful with his agenda. However, Satan is just a tool. And God is going to use Satan to actually further his agenda and fulfill his covenant forever. Saying, touch not my anointed and do my prophets no harm, he says. Moreover, he called for a famine Upon the land, he called for a famine upon the land. He says, and he broke the whole staff of bread. He sent a man before them, even Joseph, Joseph, who was sold for a servant, whose feet they hurt with fetters. So, so what we're getting here, brethren, as we're going through this uh, passage, what we what we have to be uh, deriving from it is how faithful God is to his covenant. And and we need to be, David is just amazed by these miracles of God. But it's not just like he's looking at the miracle and saying, wow, what a miracle. He's looking at these miracles and he's saying, this God is faithful. Look at everything he does to fulfill his word. So as we're going through this, we're we looking at the miracles, But we're we're realizing just how faithful God is to his covenant. So even this young man, Joseph, what does God do miraculously so that he can maintain his covenant? He says, whose feet they hurt with fetters. So he was a slave. He was laid in iron until the time that his word came. The word of the Lord tried him. The king sent and loosed him. This is a miracle even the ruler of the people, and let him go free. In fact, he made Joseph lord of his house and ruler of all his subjects. This is David saying, look at what God has done in order to be faithful to his oath, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to bind his princes at his pleasure. This is what David, uh, Joseph cannot do, bind his princes at his pleasure, and teach even his uh, the, the Egyptian senators wisdom. Israel also came into Egypt. So Joseph went in first, miraculously then. Israel also came into Egypt and Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham. So this is not his land. It's given to Ham. And now Jacob is living there and he increased his people greatly. And in fact, he made them stronger than their enemies. So, so, you know, Israel has enemies. Israel has enemies. and But through the process of this miraculous working and this faithfulness to the oath, God is just so faithful. And we must never, ever, ever accuse God of being unfaithful to his promise. God makes a covenant, he keeps it. And so all of our preaching is to demonstrate, as David is doing here, the faithfulness of our God. So, he, so from, from this one young man who they made a slave, God miraculously works from this young man to put him in a position of authority to bring the rest of Israel into Egypt and then to increase the people greatly and in fact make them stronger than their enemies. He he goes on to say, he turned their heart to hate his people. So these are the Egyptians now to deal subtly with his servants. And again, he made a promise to Abraham that they would be servants or slaves in a land that's not theirs. But then after 400 years, he would rescue So all of this is working out exactly as God promised. He sent Moses, his servant, and Aaron, whom he had chosen. They showed his signs among them and wonders in the land of Ham. He sent darkness. This is all the miracles. But it's not just random miracles. It's like David is saying, think about his faithfulness. Think about how he works his covenant. He sent darkness, he says, and made it dark. And they rebelled not against his word. He turned their waters into blood and slew their fish. Their land brought forth frogs in abundance in the chambers of their kings. He spoke and there came diverse sorts of flies and, and lice in all their coasts. He gave them hail for rain and flaming fire in their land. He struck their vines also and their fig trees and broke their trees of their coasts. This is all the miracles. Not random miracles, miracles to work his covenant he spoke, and the locusts came, and caterpillars, and that without number, so this all the vegetation they could thought they could rely on no, miraculously he sends these locusts, he sends these caterpillars and and they just they just eat up all the herbs in the land, and devoured all the fruit of their ground he also he smote also he says here. He smote also the firstborn in their land, the chief of all their strength. So all the power that would go down and be inherited by the firstborn, he struck that down for Israel. He brought them forth also with silver and gold. And there was not one feeble person among their tribes. So now he's bringing Israel out of this bondage, and there was not one feeble among their tribes. Egypt was glad when they departed. For the fear of them, the fear of Israel, fell upon all of Egypt, this great, powerful, the most powerful nation at the time. He spread a cloud for a covering, and fire to give light in the night. The people asked, and he brought quails, and satisfied them with the bread of heaven. He opened the rock, and waters gushed out. There's all these things he's doing miraculously to look after the people to fulfill the covenant. They ran in the dry, the water ran in the dry places like a river. Why did he do all of this? What was the purpose? As David recounts, what was the purpose of all of these miracles that God is performing? Are they just random miracles? So let's remember the random miracles of God. No, all of these miracles had a purpose. Why? For he remembered his holy promise. And Abraham, his servant. So as we preach today, are we preaching the way David is inspired to to show how great God is and his greatness and what differentiates him? And this is something that Pastor Murray brought out in his sermon on Sabbath as well. What differentiates this God from any other God who claims to be God is this is the only God that keeps covenant. The God that keeps covenant. This is what differentiates him from every other god. There, there is no god that can say, hey, I'm the creator, and I promise you that this will happen in the future. Even if it takes thousands of years, you can rely on it. Everything that I say will happen exactly as I said, in the future. No god does this. All the fake gods, the false gods, basically say, I'm great, bow down to me, and uh, this happened yesterday. After it happens, uh, let me tell you what happened. And that's because I'm great. But there's no God that can make the claim. This will happen tomorrow and nobody can withstand my counsel. And so this is what we must preach. And this is what, uh, again, Pastor Murray brought out on Sabbath. Why he's worthy. What is he worthy for? For he remembered his holy promise and Abraham his servant. And he brought forth his people with joy out of this bondage situation. They should have been destroyed by the Egyptians. The Egyptians had every intention to completely subjugate them. But he brought forth his people with joy and his chosen with gladness. It seemed so dark and they had given up, but God had not given up. And so despite the, the circumstances, despite the, all appearances, he brought forth his people with joy and his chosen with gladness and gave them the land of the heathen. And they inherited the labor of the people. And so as it was in the past, that's how it's going to be in the future. So all of this prosperity that the Gentiles have, and that they will be flaunting, all of it will be taken from them, and given back to the people of God. And the people of God will inherit all of this. He gave, and gave them the lands of the heathen, and they inherited the labor of the people. Why, and why did that happen? So all of these miracles... So that he could remember the covenant and bring forth his people. But why? Moses told Pharaoh why? That they might observe his statutes and keep his laws. Praise you the Lord. So this is, this is the Psalm that David was inspired to write to bring the whole community into this understanding that what? That this is a faithful God. This this God that when he speaks, once he makes an oath, once he makes a covenant, once he makes a promise, that's it. And he will work in a mighty miraculous ways to ensure that his word is fulfilled. And this is this is why we can preach the gospel. This is why there's good news. Because of his his commitment, because of his character of keeping covenant. This this is the root of the gospel. If God was not a covenant-keeping God, there would be no gospel. There would be nothing that we could rely on. If God was, if the God of the universe was Allah, let's say, who basically says it's good to lie, and that he himself will change his mind, that he himself acknowledges that he has a covenant with Israel, but then he breaks it. He changes his mind. So if we served a God that was not bound by covenant, there's no good news. There's no good There's just fear. We don't know what he'll do tomorrow. Will he crush us like ants and that's the end? Will he turn us into apes and pigs and that's the end? The good news is rooted in the fact that this God keeps covenant. And that's why we can be ironclad and and uncompromising in our preaching of the good news, because it's rooted in the gospel. So that's Side A, let's say we have, uh, I think some people might not know what a record is, but there's side A and side B of an, of an album. Uh, so that was side A, which is basically this relationship that God has with Israel. In this relationship that God has with Israel, God is totally faithful to his promise. Psalm 106 is side B. So in this relationship that God has with Israel, Israel is completely unfaithful. Israel is a disaster. Israel is evil. When we read the Bible, one thing, a couple of things we can conclude, but at the top of the list, is God's people are evil. So we don't read the Bible and come to the conclusion that, oh, these people are chosen and they're just such wonderful people. We read the Bible and it's, my goodness, these people are evil. That notwithstanding, God is a God of covenant. Despite their wickedness, because of his oath, he will still save them. And again, that's why the good news is rooted in the covenant. So here's now side B. Side B is, we've got to now understand the other side of the equation, which actually reinforces side A. So side B, he says, Praise you the Lord. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Why? For he is good, and listen... For his mercy endures forever. This chesed, this covenant love, this covenant commitment that he has to his people, it endures forever. He says, Who can utter the mighty acts of Yehovah? Who can show forth all his praise? Who, who is it possible to do this? Is it possible for, you know, David is trying and he's saying, I can't do it. Can anybody do this? He tried in, in Psalm 105 to give us a glimpse. In Psalm 104 to give us a glimpse. So he's trying, but he's saying, you know, who, who can actually do this? Who, who can truly bring forth the Lord's praise? It's, it's, he's trying. Who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? Who can show forth his praise? Blessed are they that keep judgment, he that does righteousness at all times. This is about justice. But it's God's justice, and it's something we must keep and not depart from. So unfortunately, this society is wicked. And they are good at rhetoric, and they take their wickedness, and they couch it in crafty rhetoric so that they can make wickedness seem like beauty and goodness. And unfortunately, even our own brethren get swept up in it and are there chanting along with them, supporting wickedness. But we must keep God's judgment. We must keep Torah. We must keep Torah. The prophecies tell us that iniquity will abound. We cannot get swept up in it. Blessed are they. This is understatement. Like Happy are you if you keep judgment blessed are they that keep judgment he that does righteousness at all times we we stick to torah remember me o lord with the favor that you bear unto your people oh visit me with your salvation there it is salvation is tied to the covenant and david is begging him to remember me and remember it like he remembered noah right and the prophecy is that it's going to be like the days of noah And he remembered Noah, meaning he moved to save Noah. Oh, visit me with thy salvation, that I may see the good of your chosen. This is the covenant. God has chosen a people. And David is saying, please remember me that I may see this. He's, he's having, he has a prophetic lens. Oh, that I may see the good of your chosen, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation. So when David comes up in the resurrection, he's looking for the gladness of the nation, God's nation. You can't say, oh yeah, yeah, I know, at the time, that's what I was thinking, but while you were sleeping, I changed my mind, and I'm not dealing with the nation anymore. David would say, what? He would turn to Abraham and say, are are, are you aware of this? Jacob, did, did you hear this? Did you know this? These men are coming up, looking for this. And they want to rejoice in the gladness of God's nation. That I may glory with your inheritance. Israel is God's inheritance. Now, here is side B. We're going to now understand why God's faithfulness is so glorious. It's like he's married to Israel, and he's married to a prostitute. This is like Hosea. He's married to Israel, who has made a covenant with him. It's a a bilateral covenant. And God is doing everything to be faithful to what they agreed to. And Israel, the wife, is doing everything to be unfaithful. And God remains faithful to the covenant. He's still going to work his covenant. And even though he divorced the northern tribes, he remained in covenant with the southern tribes, who, when they saw how wicked the northern tribes were, and that God divorced them for their wickedness, Jeremiah tells us, that their reaction to that was to become more wicked than the northern tribes. And even though they became more wicked than the northern tribes, God did not divorce them. He remained in covenant with them. And ultimately, he says, he's going to join Israel to Judah and make them one stick so that Israel can come back into the covenant and God can remember his covenant with Israel forever. And when we studied, when we did the study on the book of Luke, the gospel according to Luke, Luke 1 tells the whole story. And so maybe I would encourage some of you to go back and listen to the gospel according to Luke, Luke 1. And that in Luke 2 as well, when Simeon came, he came looking for these promises to be fulfilled in Christ. And when Christ goes to the Father to, to receive the scroll, he had to come as an israelite and he had to live according to torah so that as pastor murray brought out he could receive the scroll and then enact the judgments of the torah to be in to have the authority and the credibility and the right to enact the judgments of torah but he had to come as an israelite and live torah to do that we have, so here's here's david now so david is looking at the situation and he says we have sinned with our fathers. Our fathers were unfaithful to you, and we are no different. We're in this covenant with you. Our fathers were unfaithful, and so are we. We have sinned with our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. And this reminds me of a sermon that our brother Deacon Jan gave, where he, he expounded on uh, sin, transgression, and iniquity. And, and David is saying, like, yeah, we sinned. We committed iniquity and we've done wickedly. Like it's just compounding. It's going from bad to worse. This is who we are. You know, so many of uh, Jews today, even Christians today, spiritual Jews today, uh, Israelites in general, we just have this inflated sense of ourselves. David didn't have that. Daniel didn't have that. They, they looked at the situation and just said, wow. So now David goes on. Our fathers understood not your wonders in Egypt. So he just finished recounting the wonders in Egypt. And now he's saying, our fathers didn't understand. Our fathers understood not your wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of your mercies, which he just recounted for us. Instead, what did they do instead? Instead of being grateful, and this is the danger of miracles. Miracles are so amazing, we're looking for miracles, but then we just take them for granted. He says, it's just a human condition. In fact, some of the things that we do today, I mean, what I'm doing today right now, in terms of being able to broadcast, and we have brethren all over the world that listen. That's a miracle. Yeah, we take that for granted now. Now it's like, hey, it's not fast enough. It's like, hey, I'm trying to download this file. Or I'm trying to download this video on my phone, and it's just not coming down fast enough. It's like, what? If somebody was resurrected, you'd have to explain to them what you're doing. They would never get their head around that. We take it for granted. The human condition, we just start to take things for granted. And so that's what they did. Our fathers understood not your wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of your mercies, but provoked him at the sea, even at the Red Sea, the very place of salvation. They provoked him. Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake. And I want you to listen to that carefully, brethren. Why did God save them? For his name's sake. What did he say in Matthew 24? Why will we be hated by all nations? For his name's sake. So this gospel, which must be preached in all the world, has to be tied to his name and understanding how salvation works for his name's sake. So if we're preaching a gospel that does not elaborate on God doing things for his name's sake and keeping covenant for his name's sake, we're preaching the wrong gospel. We're not preaching the gospel Christ preached. Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make his mighty power to be known. And that's when we studied 2nd Isaiah, this is what we saw. God bringing all the nations together and saying to Judah, you're my witnesses, tell them, so that his mighty power can be known. And that's what's going to happen. When Christ returns, that in this time of the abomination that makes desolate and God's people being on the brink of destruction, that he will be, he will show himself mighty to save. He will save them. He will work through them. They will, they will overcome. They'll become greater than their enemies. And God's power will be known in Judah. God's power will be known in Judah. And that's the good news. That's why Isaiah says, speak comfortably to Jerusalem. And we have to understand this. We have to put all the pieces together and speak precisely, speak accurately about our Father and our, our Lord Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, he saved them. Not for, not, so they're wicked people. Again, people come to me to tell me how wicked the Jews are. Okay, what's, what, I don't get your point. Have you read the Bible? Oh, if you say the Jews are wicked, you're being anti-Semitic. Have you read the Bible? Their wickedness is notwithstanding. What David is showing what David is showing us is how faithful God is. He's in covenant. This is his wife. He's made a covenant. He's not going to turn back on her. Her wickedness notwithstanding. Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make his mighty power to be known. He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it was dried up. So he led them through the depths as through the wilderness. And he saved them from the hand of him that hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. So we talked about that in Psalm 105. But this is side B. And the waters covered their enemies. There was not one of them left. Then they believed his words. They sang his praise. But then what happened? They soon forgot his works. They waited not for his counsel but ran off after this world they soon forgot his works they waited not for his counsel but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted god in the desert how tragic they lusted exceedingly they didn't just l- they lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and they tempted god in the desert and what he gave them their request but sent leanness into their soul. This is what God does. He gives us our request, and and you know the whole situation now with America, and we have this um, person in the office now, who is it's not an America first agenda. But if you think of the whole summer and Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter, and the whole purpose of Black Lives Matter was to to destroy the the Trump presidency, and to to usher in the Biden administration. So, okay, Black Lives Matter, let's get Trump out, and let's get Biden in. Remember, social justice. And so now he's in. He gave them their request. So all those who are chanting and supporting Black Lives Matter, God says, great, I'll give you your request. Social justice. And so now we're going to get social justice. And now we're going to understand what it means for America to be in collusion with China. And people don't understand this. People don't understand what it means to say this is the Chinese Communist Party. What is communism? Do we know history? And what does it mean for America to prioritize a communist agenda? And what does that mean for the whole world? And, you know, it, it does sadden me. I do have to say just a side note. It does sadden me for a lot of false accusations being thrown at President Donald Trump. The man is flawed, no doubt. No doubt. But he's also gifted I, I certainly couldn't accomplish the things that he's accomplished in his life I, I would be embarrassed if we had to say you know give us a list of your accomplishments and he puts a list of his accomplishments I'd have to put my hand over my mouth and not say a word. I, I can't operate at that level and yet despite all his accomplishments he decided he would run for office and serve as president and hey He's an American. He benefited from the American system and he understood the common man and fought for the freedom of the common man. And I I think it's wrong, brethren, for us as Christians to level accusations against him when we don't have proof. I I think this is wrong. I think gratitude would go a long way. I think God appreciates a bit of gratitude. And so if this man was fighting for freedom and we benefited from that, a little gratitude wouldn't go amiss. But we fought, you know, Black Lives Matter, social justice, Me Too movement, all of this to disrupt and take the man out, take the man down. And now he's going to be persecuted. He is being, as I speak, they they're, they want to destroy him, destroy his family. So how could he be in collusion with them? And they're just committed to his destruction. And he could he could have just been golfing, building his business, have a nice life. He chose to fight for America. He's gone now. So let's not worship, let's not worship him, let's not be idolatry, he's gone. For us who are faithful in the Lord, we just change gears. If he could retain the principles that America was founded on, primarily freedom, we could operate a certain way. When freedom goes in America, forget the rest of the world. Freedom goes everywhere. The light of freedom goes out. It doesn't change us. It changes our course of action. It changes our work. It, it, it means that, you know, the night is coming when no man can work. So we preach while we can, fully expecting at some point we'll be silenced. We preach while we can, fully expecting at some point we may be imprisoned, we may be martyred. That's okay. That's fine. We've read the book. We, we understand the oath and the co- covenant commitment that God has made. And so we will preach his name's sake, regardless We're not bothered by what the wicked do. We just, okay, new situation. Uh, Freedom is, the light of freedom is going out. That's fine. The word of God cannot be bound. The word of God is free and we'll preach it. So I'll get off my soapbox, but God gives us our requests. And so all of you who Black Lives Matter, God is giving you your request. I hope it works out for you. I hope you have the commitment to Christ to face what's coming. He gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. There are consequences for what you ask for. They envied Moses also in the camp, and Aaron, the saint of the Lord. The envy in the camp. These men were sent to help them, to save them, and instead of being grateful, they're envious. What did the earth do? God, The earth opened and swallowed up Dathan and covered the company of Abiram. And a fire was kindled in their company. The flame burned up the wicked. And when he says the flame burned up the wicked, we don't mean the Gentile wicked. He's saying within Israel, the flame burnt up the wicked. They made a calf in Horeb and worshiped the molten image. Thus they changed their glory into the similitude of an ox that eats grass. Instead of sticking to the glory of the Lord, they exchanged it. And ran after the world, and exalted the things of this world, and the gods of this world. They forgot God their Savior, which had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and terrible things by the Red Sea. They forgot all of this. Therefore he said, what did he say about his people? That he would destroy them. Had not Moses his chosen stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he should destroy them. And remember, when he was going to destroy them, he would then rebuild the nation out of Moses. And he would still be faithful to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob by rebuilding out of Moses. But Moses pleaded on their behalf. And, and, and he turned away his wrath. And he didn't destroy them. Yeah, they despised the pleasant land. They believed not his word. And and brethren, that's what's happening today. God, God says, why would Christ say? Let's ask this question. If everything's fine, Adrian, calm down. There's no cause for alarm here. The brethren are fine. The brethren are very holy people, and they're very righteous, and they're very sensible, and they're full of wisdom. If that's the case... Why would Christ ask the question, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Why would he ask that question? Why would he share with us the parable of the ten virgins and demonstrate to us that five of the virgins are locked out? If everything's fine, nothing to be excited about. But if everything is not fine, and we don't have elders who say, everything is not fine here, brethren. Time is running out. We need to get serious and stop chasing the world. If we don't have elders who are saying this, then we're going to despise what God puts in front of us. And we're going to chase after the world. Yes, they despise the pleasant. is the promised land. This God, God, the zeal of the Lord is all about the land and what he's going to do in the land with the people on the land. And they despised the promised land, the pleasant land. And they didn't believe his word. When we run after this world, we're demonstrating to God we don't believe. We're trying to make this world, we've got to make this world a better place. We don't believe his word. But murmured in their tents, and hearken not unto the voice of the Lord. And these things are written for our admonition. So as we come, and Christ says, when he comes, will he find faith on the earth? We can expect people murmuring in their tents. And not hearkening unto the voice of the Lord. Therefore he lifted up his hand against them to overthrow them in the wilderness. And, and, and these curses that are coming as Christ un, unseals the scroll. And these, these judgments are unleashed upon the earth to the Jew first and then the Gentile. The Jew first to drive the Jew, physical and spiritual, to repentance. And then once and again, uh, Pastor Murray brought this out in his sermon... Once that occurs, Deuteronomy 30, then God takes these curses and puts them on the enemies of God, of Israel, to drive the enemy to their knees, to punish them, but also to drive them to repentance, but the Jew first, then the Gentile. Therefore he lifted up his hand against them, his own people, to overthrow them in the wilderness, to overthrow their seed also among the nations, think Deuteronomy 30, and to scatter them in the lands, Deuteronomy 30, What did they do? They joined themselves also unto Baal Peor and ate the sacrifices of the dead. This is what God's people do. And you know when they do this, they do it with with arrogance. They do it wagging the finger. You should be doing this too. And if you speak against them, they rise up against you. But Moses spoke against them. They joined themselves also to Baal Peor and ate the sacrifices of the dead. Thus they provoked him to anger. With their inventions, their twisting and deviations from Torah. Thus they provoked him to anger with their inventions. And the plague broke in upon them. <laughs> and that's what's going to happen to us, brother. Then stood up Phinehas. This is like um, in, in Revelation 2. Antipas. He is against everything. <laughs> There's Antipas again. Don't tell me you're against this too? Yeah. We're against everything that's against Torah. So here we have Phineas. He stood up and he executed judgment. Not social justice. Judgment. Torah judgment. Then stood up Phineas and he executed judgment. And so the plague was stayed. That's what God was looking for. Not somebody getting up saying, oh yeah, you know, these, um, these people who worship Baal, they're, they're good people. One day they'll know the Lord. Yeah, they're involved in some idolatry right now, but they're still good. We need social justice for them too. No, Phineas stood up and said Torah and executed judgment. And God, that pleased God. And so the plague was stayed. And that was counted unto him for righteousness unto all generations forevermore. Everybody would have been against him. But not God and not Moses. And God said, hey, that's righteousness. That's, that's what I'm looking for. Torah. Not Marxism. Not, not postmodern ideology. Not crafty rhetoric. Torah. And don't deviate from it. And that was counted unto him for righteousness unto all generations forevermore. They angered him also at the waters of strife. So that it went ill with Moses for their sakes. They basically destroyed Moses, uh, inheritance. Moses did not get into the, into the promised land. They drove him to distraction. And they drove, drove him to sin. And so because of them, uh, it went ill with Moses for their sakes because they provoked his spirit so that he spoke unadvisedly, unadvisedly with his lips. So think about this, brethren. You know, if, if we lived in Moses time, we would, we would be all for Moses. You know, these children of Israel, they're just so rebellious. But if I was alive then, I'd be right with Moses side by side. Now, Moses could count on me. Really? Oh, if I lived with, in Paul's day, I'd be right with Paul. I'd be right there supporting him. If I lived with Christ, oh, I don't understand these Pharisees. I'd be right there supporting him. Really? Because the record seems to show God's people always resist the leadership that God provides. And they provoke, except, oh, there's always a faithful remnant. They provoked his spirit. So that he spoke unadvisedly with his lips. They did not destroy the nations. God says, go in, have nothing to do with these. They didn't do that. Of course, the nations need their justice. They had to fight for the justice of the nations, and we need to work with these nations. They did not destroy the nations concerning whom the Lord commanded them. Like This is a clear command. But were mingled among the heathen, and learned their works, learned their language, learned their rhetoric introduced words like terms like white fragility into the church and mingled with the heathen and brought that postmodernism filth into the church to divide among brethren god doesn't stand for this brethren need to keep torah keep torah and don't mix it with the heathen these people were mingled among the heathen and they learned their work. they learned their rhetoric and they served their idols, Baalim, which were a snare unto them. And this is what we read, uh, gave a sermon a couple of weeks back on sudden death overtime. But that passage that, um, Paul gives us the teachings in Thessalonians, second Thessalonians, where he shows us that this is coming as a snare, that the man of sin is coming as a snare to the church, to take the church out, to see, are we going to fight for Torah? Are we going to fight for the covenant? Or will we be mixing with the world? Will we kind of understand the world's ways and want to compromise? That will be a snare. And there is a snare being set. God wants to know, do we love the truth? That's really the ultimate question. Do we love the truth? And they served their idols, which were a snare unto them. Yep. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters unto devils. And again, I'm going to just make it really plain. All of those that supported Black Lives Matter, now your man is in place. The Black Lives Matter movement was successful in removing one man and putting in another. And in the process, they have sacrificed our sons and daughters to devils. Abortion will be rampant and there will be bloodshed. There will be human sacrifice. This is the Marxist way. We just have to study the ideology. What what is this all about? When we talk about social justice, what is that? And where does it lead? Because we have history. We can open the history books and we can see everywhere this has been practiced. I think some 25 nations now have tried this and it has never worked. It has always resulted in human sacrifice on a massive scale. It has always resulted in the sacrifice of the young. The children it has always resulted in pedophilia and the sacrifice of children and so what is this Marxist movement where is it heading and what does it mean when we support it what are we doing to our children what does the future now hold for our children yeah they sacrifice their sons and their daughters unto devils and shed innocent blood and again think of the rate of abortion here even the blood of their sons and of their daughters whom they sacrificed unto the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with blood. This is this is the land that God said, I'm going to take this land from Canaan, I'm going to give it to you. And I'm going to set you up as the nation, the head nation of the whole world, that the whole world can learn from you my righteousness. And what do they do? Instead of going in and clearing out the land, they mix with the people. They adopt the ideologies of the people. They adopt the worship practices of the people. They adopt the passions of the people. They adopt the corruption of the people and they destroy their own children. Their own inheritance they destroy for the idols of the land. And they pollute the holy land with blood, their own children's blood. We are no different. We're doing the same thing. Children are being trafficked like who knows what, right? Oh, open up the borders. Why? So we can traffic children. That's a, Massive, massive money-making machine. Traffic children, traffic women, traffic drugs, and oh yes, we need to be back involved in war. First order of business: turn the Middle East on fire. And that's why this—this this is this is what we should be watching. Everybody's so so sort of self-absorbed with what what does this mean for me? What we should be absorbed with is what does this mean for Jerusalem? What is, what does the future now hold for Jerusalem? And as we watch the change of the guard in America, what are the implications for Jerusalem? That's what we care about. That's the zeal of the Lord. But they didn't care. They didn't care about the land. They didn't care about the zeal of the Lord. Thus were they defiled with their own works and went to horroring with their own inventions. And whenever you think inventions, think deviations from the Torah. Instead of following the Torah, they deviate from the Torah. And so they, they were defiled with their... They did it to themselves. God gave them what they wanted. And they defiled themselves with their own works. And they went to horroring with their own deviations. Their own... Uh, their own rhetoric. Their own justifications. And I, I would say social justice, which doesn't come from the church. It comes from the Marxists. Bringing it into the church is a deviation from Torah. And it's a way of horroring after our own deviations. Therefore was the wrath of the Lord kindled against his people. Do do we, you know, Moses did his best to warn the people. They drove him to distraction. But it was his love for the people. I mean, do we know that he loved the people? Yeah. When God wanted to destroy the people, he, he negotiated on their behalf. He pleaded for them. That's how much he loved the people. And yet the people drove him to distraction. So... You know, was Moses angry? Yeah. Why? Because he loved the people. So if we understand this wrath of the Lord, if we understand what it means when Christ, the the Lamb who's worthy, starts peeling back these seals, and what it means for the earth, and what it means for God's people, and what what was the instruction to the Thessalonians around the end time, and what are the implications for the church, then do we sit back and say, you're good, No problem. Yeah, you're righteous. Keep on going. You're fine. May the Lord bless your social justice. It's all going to work out well. Is that love? Oh, I'm right behind you. Yeah, social justice is good. You're fine. Keep on going. Is that love? Or is love, what are you doing? You're deviating from Torah. Open your Bible. Study your Bible. The wrath of the Lord is coming. Which one is true love? Therefore was the wrath of the Lord kindled against his people, insomuch that he abhorred his own inheritance. Is it possible for God to abhor the church? We only have to read the letter, his, his love letter to the Laodiceans, that says, I abhor you so much, I will vomit you out of my mouth. That's the church. So can this happen again? The wrath of the Lord was kindled against his people, insomuch that he abhorred his own inheritance, and he gave them into the hand of the heathen and they that hated them ruled over them so instead of being the nation that rules the world now they have the nations ruling over them and nations that that despise what you're the people of god you think you're special oh we'll show you different and and people that hate and i've said this and i'm not afraid to say it the marxists hate christ karl marx hated jesus he hated him with a passion and he hated the family and he hated he hated what the family represented And this uh, this hatred is in the ideology. It's baked into the ideology. And that's the ideology that's ruling us now. Their enemies also oppressed them. And they were brought into subjection under their hand. So, you know, just because we're God's people, does that mean we can just do whatever we like and we can live freely? Or is it possible that even though we're God's people, we can be oppressed? Is it possible that, you know, you think of the time of the Persians, which is modern-day Iran today, who's a, a, an enemy of the people of God, that the new administration wants to befriend and fund and, and strengthen Persia with this eternal, almost isn't eternal, but this long-standing, perpetual is the word, this perpetual hatred of Judah. So now we have a new administration that wants to strengthen Persia and wants to strengthen the Palestinians and wants to withdraw support from Judah. And what does God say? He says to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And and clearly reading the Psalms here, we know these people are wicked. God is not saying these people are perfect, but they're his people. And so as Christians now, is it possible that even though we're God's people, that we live under oppression? And again, you think of Esther in the time of the Persians where the king can just say, okay, I'm coming through the land and uh, any pretty girl that I see, yeah, I'll have her. Bring bring her to my palace and I'll just do what I like with the pretty girls. C- can that happen to Christians? C- can we live in a world where even though we're trying to worship God, we find ourselves in a situation where those who hate us rule over us and can just say, yeah, you know, come with me, you're going to a detention center. And uh, you can't call your family, you can't call a lawyer, you can't say anything to anybody. Just get in the van and we're taking you to a detention center and we don't know when we'll let you go. And we'll do that with your children. We'll come into your house and we'll remove your children. Why? Because Black Lives Matter. So we support, they're the ones who are spewing this Black Lives Matter, so we support them. And now that they're in power, they knock on our door and they remove our children. But they're my child. Yeah, no, we're taking them away. But when will I see them again? That's none of your business. Can, can we as Christians end up in a world like this? Yeah, we can. And we still have to be faithful, and we still preach the gospel no matter what. Their enemies also oppressed them, and they were brought under, under subjection, or brought into subjection under their hand. Many times did he deliver them, but they provoked him with their counsel, and were brought low for their iniquity. It's just this this DNA; they just cannot be faithful. Nevertheless, he's faithful. He regarded their affliction when he heard their cry. And he remembered them, he remembered for them his covenant. This is side B. The covenant does not depend upon the faithfulness of the people. The covenant depends upon the faithfulness of God to his word. That's why the covenant is strong. That's why the covenant ultimately cannot be broken. Because it's, the co- it's a one-sided covenant. Abraham did not say, okay, and I will do this. Abraham was fast asleep when God entered into covenant with him. And so he remembered them for his covenant and repented according to the multitude of his mercies. He made them also to be pitied of all those that carried them captives. So, so he turned it around. Save us, O Lord, our God, and gather us from among the heathen. Matthew 24. Deuteronomy 30. Same story. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. When God returns, he's returning to remember his covenant and to fulfill every word of his plan and his counsel. And when he returns, he's going to gather them, gather his people, his physical people. So when he returns, the spiritual Jews, the first fruits harvest, are going to be, uh, those of us who are alive are going to be uh, transformed uh, to meet him in the air. Those who are dead will precede us. They'll come up out of the earth first. We're going to be with the Lord. But then he's going to send his angels after that to the four corners of the earth. To gather, Isaiah sixty sixty one to gather the physical seed of Israel from all that are alive. They're going to go through a terrible time, but there will be a remnant that lives, that will have been driven to repentance. He's going to come to save Judah and to gather the, the tribes of Israel from the four corners of the earth and to place them in the land according to the covenant. This is the gospel. This is the good news. That God will ultimately keep his promise to Abraham. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the heathen. Deuteronomy 30. To give thanks unto thy holy name. There it is again. The name tied to the gospel, tied to the salvation. And to triumph in your praise. There's Zechariah 12. Blessed be the Lord God of who? Of Israel. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. From everlasting to everlasting. If we're preaching a gospel that excludes Israel, that it's like it's good news for the Gentiles, the whole world will be saved, and we don't talk about what God will do for Israel, we're calling God is a, a liar. Because here we see in Psalm 106, despite all of their wickedness, transgression and iniquity, despite all of this sinfulness, God is faithful to his word. And God ultimately will do exactly what he promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the fathers. And so in Psalm 105, we saw the miraculous workings of God. And now Psalm 106, the sister psalm, concludes by saying that, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He's the God of the whole universe, but he's the Lord God of Israel from what? From everlasting to everlasting it's an eternal covenant brethren and we've got to wrap our heads around this and be able to preach the gospel within this context that we are praising the lord god of israel from everlasting to everlasting he's the god of israel forever again think of luke 1 and let all the people say amen praise ye the lord so brethren that brings us to the end of book 4 of the psaltery God willing, what we'll do now, beginning next week, is we will return to the prophet Isaiah. First Isaiah. And uh, hopefully then we'll get through this and we'll have in the archive the entire scroll of Isaiah where we have read it together line by line. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen. Praise ye Yehovah. Amen.